Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's December 22nd. Alfred Dreyfus was wrongfully convicted of selling military secrets to Germany on this day in 1894. He was sentenced to military degradation and exile for life. Most English speakers in the United States say his name Dreyfus and call this the Dreyfus Affair, but in French, it is a lot more like Dreyfus. Dreyfus had decided to join the military as a young man after witnessing the German occupation of his hometown and the French defeat in the Franco-Prussian War. He graduated with honors from École Polytechnique, and he became the first Jewish officer on the general staff at the headquarters of the French Ministry of War. On December 26th of 1894, a document was intercepted that was addressed to the German military attaché, Lieutenant Colonel Max von Schwarzkoppen. And then that October, Dreyfus was charged with this crime. There were a lot of reasons that the military had for suspecting him. He was from Alsace, which had been under German control since the Franco-Prussian War. He had access to the information in question thanks to his position— His handwriting was supposedly similar to the handwriting in the documents, and he was Jewish. Several openly anti-Semitic officers said quite plainly that being Jewish made him suspect. He was convicted in a closed court-martial and publicly degraded on January 5, 1895. He was then transported to prison and ultimately held in solitary confinement on Devil's Island. His family, especially his wife and his brother, believed his innocence from the very start, and he steadfastly maintained that he was not guilty. They fought for a retrial for him, and gradually members of the general public started to call for a retrial as well. Emile Zola's famous Jacques letter, published in a newsletter called L'Aurore, was printed on January 13th of 1898, This letter took up the whole front page, and it accused the military and others of a cover-up. He was put on trial for defaming the French military, convicted of libel, and sentenced to a year in prison and 3,000 francs. He was forced into exile in London. Then Georges Picard, chief of intelligence, found compelling evidence that another French officer, Ferdinand Valsine Esterhazy, was the real culprit. And this was true. That was the real culprit. This man had offered his services to von Schwarzkoppen on July 20th, 1894. He had been paid on August 15th. And this was his message, not Dreyfus's, that had been intercepted. Picard was ordered not to pursue this matter, but he continued on in defiance of that order. There was eventually a court-martial, but Esterhazy was acquitted, and Picard was removed from his position and sent on a series of dangerous missions to get him out of the way. This blossomed into a major schism in France. The Dreyfusards and anti-Dreyfusards lined up for and against reopening the case. This led to all kinds of political cartoons, many of them extremely anti-Semitic and full of disparaging stereotypes, 
was also tied up in thoughts about the military, with the Dreyfusards wanting the military to be overseen by Parliament and the anti-Dreyfusards arguing that this whole affair was damaging the military. This all spread well beyond France, with writers and composers and artists and world leaders and other prominent people all taking sides. In August of 1898, it was discovered that one of the documents that had been used to convict Dreyfus was a forgery, and one officer admitted that he had fabricated this document in order to get a conviction. A retrial was held in June of 1899. Once again, Dreyfus was convicted, but this time he was given a reduced sentence. This led to international outrage. He was offered a pardon not long after that because he was in poor health, but he and his family continued to seek exoneration. They didn't just want him free. They wanted his name cleared. Another retrial was held in 1903. And finally, in 1906, Dreyfus was exonerated. He was innocent of all charges. He was restored to his position of major. Picard was also reinstated and promoted to Brigadier General. And the French army publicly declared that Dreyfus was innocent. They did that in 1995. Before we close out today's episode, for the next week, my co-host on Stuff You Missed in History class, Holly Fry, will be filling in for me on this show. Because of the very weird time travel nature of this podcast, that was to help me cover some time out of the office back in November. So thanks, Holly. Thanks also to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's show and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for one of the world's most famous patrons. Hello again, it's Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast that truly believes no day is boring. The day was December 22, 1885. Ito Hirobumi became the first prime minister of Japan. Ito's father was the adopted son of a minor samurai. Ito, born in 1841, grew up under the feudal military government of the Tokugawa shogunate. The Japanese economy fared well during the Tokugawa period. Commerce and manufacturing grew, and the merchant class profited off of this. Agricultural production was important, but as the economy flourished, it was not as fruitful as other sectors. The Tokugawa shogunate made efforts in fiscal reform, but all the socioeconomic unrest weakened it. And though Japan still had conservative isolationist policies, it was increasingly influenced by Western powers to dump its seclusion policy to benefit from global trade and better technology. The government sent Ito to University College London in 1863. And when he returned to Japan the next year, he began supporting Western influence in the society and economy. In 1868, the Tokugawa shogunate fell and the emperor was restored to power. After the Meiji Restoration, Japan opened its borders and began to go through a period of major political, social, and economic change. Ito had connections with leaders in early Meiji Japan, such as Kido Takayoshi and Okubo Toshimichi. And through those, he was able to go to the U.S. on government assignments and to Europe on the Iwakura mission to research things like taxation and treaty revision. 
Ita was appointed a junior British counselor in the new Department of Foreign Affairs after the Meiji Restoration. And in 1870, he was sent to the U.S. to study Western currency. When he got back to Japan, he helped change the Japanese taxation system. Soon, Ito was made a British counselor at the Ministry of Public Works. And he continued to rise in rank. In 1875, the emperor appointed him the chairman of the first assembly of the governors of the Japanese prefectures. When Okubo Toshimichi, a powerful Meiji leader and confidant of Ito, was assassinated, Ito took his place as Minister for Home Affairs. After forcing rival Okuma Shigenobu out of the government, Ito studied European constitutions and convinced the government to adopt a constitution. He helped draft the Japanese Meiji Constitution, which the emperor proclaimed in 1899. The following year, the National Diet, Japan's bicameral legislature, was established. And on December 2nd, 1885, after he established a cabinet system of government, Ito became the first prime minister of Japan. He stayed in the position until he resigned three years later, but he served as prime minister three other times after that. As prime minister, Ito saw Japan's victory in the Sino Japanese War, helped Japan deal with the Anglo Japanese Treaty of Commerce and Navigation, and organized a pro government political party called the Riken Seyuki. Ito was also appointed as the first resident general of Korea in 1905. Ito wanted Japan to control Korea as a protectorate after the Russo Japanese War and suppressed Korean nationalism, but he did not want to formally annex the country. In October of 1909, Ito was assassinated by a Korean independence movement activist at a train station. I'm Eve Jeffco, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you've seen any good history memes lately, you can send them to us on social media at TDIHC Podcast. Or if you want to get a little more fancy, you can send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.